What is up? Another episode of Ripple Effect Podcast. Hello, my friends. I have returned and have another great conversation with two of my favorite people, James Corbett of The Corbett Report and Hunter Motz of Mixed Mental Arts. They've both been on the show a bunch of times, so please go back. Uh, James has been on to uh, to talk about his documentaries. He's been on just to talk about current events and history and, and sometimes just... Uh, We've, we've done some bullshitting talking about uh, even our families and, and our current uh, lives. And Hunter and I have had tons of conversations also. We, we've had a almost, I think, three-hour conversation where we actually met in Connecticut and uh, sat around and actually hung out for a while, which is really nice, and, and had a, a nice uh, long conversation, a casual kind of just bullshitting about our personal uh, philosophies and some of our life experiences and stuff like that, which is really cool. And he's also been on... Uh, not too long ago or, or sometime uh, late last year in uh, in regards to a, a little debate I, I put together with uh, Hunter versus Adam Kokesh and we did uh, the two parts of that so uh, it was fun because they're just two really just fun guests to, to listen to and, and hear them kind of uh, challenge each other's ideas and, and this podcast with James and Hunter is very similar it's uh, you know two people that I really respect and I really appreciate their opinions and perspectives and I had them on hoping to uh, create magic and really be able to spark some interesting conversation that the listener can listen to and listen to two really well thought out uh, perspectives and opinions and uh, really do what we're all trying to do. And that's trying to figure shit out. So uh, hopefully you guys enjoy this conversation. Um, I'm hoping to do a part three. This is a part two. So uh, please go back and listen to part one if you haven't. Uh, that was uh, a little longer. That was about an hour and a half. So uh, definitely check that out. It was a, a really fun conversation, that first one. And uh, and this one, very similar. Uh, we kind of, well, the first podcast, we, we kind of talk about the history of our current system and how we got into this mess and, uh, you know, depression, educational system and all this stuff. And then uh, today we try to get into the solutions, how to fix it. And, and all that stuff and how they differ in opinions on how to do so and and, and that so uh thanks again guys also let me just let you know if you guys are new to the show on our youtube channel which is rv theory six or you can just search the ripple effect podcast we always have video versions of our episodes so if somebody calls in using skype uh video then you can actually see us have the conversation in this case uh and in the last uh, podcast James and Hunter called in using video so you can actually see us have the conversation uh, so please subscribe to that I'm on Instagram at RV theory six I'm on Twitter at RV theory six um, on Facebook uh, on my personal account Ricky Verandas or look up Ricardo Verandas or you can uh, also like our ripple effect podcast Facebook page uh, so do all that stuff I also have a patreon page uh, I, I'm trying to do my best to try to remind you guys of that because um i get way more downloads than i have patreons which is okay because this is a passion project and i love doing this i get a lot of benefit from it and i it's my way of feeling like i'm contributing uh you know as as some of you long time long time listeners may know we have this family owned construction company it's a small little business we do you know flat work concrete work curb work and stuff like that uh some road you know road construction and stuff and it's not a very fulfilling job and this is kind of my way of, of feeling like I'm giving back or, or doing something uh, with some purpose and, and some meaning. So, uh, you know, Hunter and, and James, I think are motivated by very much similar feelings of, of 
instead of just being a spectator, they, they want to do something. And, uh, and you know, that's why I called the ripple effect podcast, because I truly believe we can all make a change and, and create change and spark change and start a little ripple of change. Uh, no matter how small it starts off as, uh, eventually it could turn in something. And like this show, which, I've had people like Jesse Ventura on, you know, the governor, uh, Colonel Lawrence Wilkerson, uh, who was chief of staff for Colin Powell in the White House, ex-CIA people, ex-FBI. I've had Rick Ross, who was uh, linked to the Iran-Contras and all the um, drug trafficking that was going on. Uh, I've had so many uh, just amazing, amazing guests uh, that I, I look back and I'm just, uh, you know, amazed. You know, Daniele Bignelli, uh, Dan Carlin. Uh, you know, the amazing Jonathan, the comedian, you know, Fear Factory, the, the singer Fear Factory, Burn C. Bell, the singer Anthony Shikari. Um, just it, it boggles my mind. And uh, the fact that people are still willing to come on like James and Hunter and, and help me uh, not just build this and, and, and help me with, uh, you know, giving me content. But I, I think that uh, they also, um, even though I haven't asked them, I, I, I like to think that they also believe in, in this project uh, because I think we're all trying to do the same thing and that's spark thought and then trying to bring people honest uh, opinions and, and not trying to sell you something or but just trying to get you to think and look at things differently and um, so that's it I'll keep this rant I say I keep it short but it's already going on to six or seven minutes so it's not really short but uh, it's shorter than some of my other uh, longer rants and um so that's it enjoy the show guys hopefully i have these guys on in the near future for a part three and uh that should be an interesting conversation so see you guys peace So uh, I guess James has a hard out in uh, well now I think in you know about 15 minutes or so. So we uh, what we were getting we started just literally a couple minutes before you. Uh, I was joking around. This is why it's hard to start a band because somebody's always late to practice. Hunter. Oh, I am so sorry, guys. I mean the Angelino always the worst. You know, L.A. time. <laughs> Those L.A. musicians, uh, prima donnas. Um, yeah. But, but uh, we were talking about what I was uh, uh, sparking the conversation with uh, the question of how it's very easy to to, to find conversations about okay, these are the issues, these are the problems, this system sucks, blah, 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 this is how we got here, look, you know, everybody that we have, we can blame for why we have this crappy system, but it's really hard to find uh, real solutions and people who are, are, who have real ideas on how do we fix this, how do we transition into it, I think that's really hard too, it's like, even if you have a solution, it's like, okay, that's, that's great, but there's a lot of people who believe, that, you know, it's not a broken system that we just have to tweak it and that it's just you know uh so that's what james was getting into before you joined us was an getting into answering that question how do you fix the system what are some of the solutions and how do we transition to those solutions right and and the point that i was making is that i think one of the things that what you say gestures towards is the fact there are two two different ways of approaching how do we come up with the solution to these problems? I mean, first of all, what are the problems? Yeah, that is a contentious issue. So different people have different takes on that. And I'm certainly not here to tell people that my perspective on what 
education should be is what you should want for your education. I mean, obviously, I think everyone has to bring to the table what it is. Really, I mean, the first step would be to find out what it is you're actually looking for from the process of education, what it is that you want to accomplish or what you want to do or what you want to have at the end of that goal. Um, so that's, in a sense, that's almost a personal thing. But there are two, two different aspects to this uh, solution, the, the potential solution, one of which is, yeah, there's the very practical question of we are in this system. This system exists and there's all these rules and infrastructure and laws and all of this stuff that surrounds it. So how do we get from this system that exists that we are currently in to whatever it is we want to get to? And then the second order of the solution is, okay, well, how about in the ideal universe where, you know, we can do anything? What what do we want? And I, I, I don't know if we have to approach them completely separately, but we have to be aware there are two different tracks there. And we have to be aware that we are in a system that currently exists and have to, I think, at least take into account some of the practical um, uh, steps that would need to be taken to change the system. Yeah, but I think even within uh, James's answer, there is a seed of a solution, which is is that you know he's talking about people being reflective and intentional about what they even want from an education. And the real core issue is is that up until now, people have approached their education unthinkingly, right? There was this blind assumption that your state, the state, or your teachers, or whoever else it may be had your best interests at heart, you know, they had figured out what you needed to know and that if you just continued to jump through the hoops, that there would be a nice, safe job waiting at the end of the rainbow for you that you could do for the next 40 years. And that's the the core issue is, is that that no longer is true. The world is so complicated, so dynamic and so ever changing that you can no longer bet that whatever skill set you have today is going to be invaluable, is going to be valuable in 10, 20 years and that many of the jobs that people are going to have in 10, 20 years don't even exist yet. So what that comes down to is basically what Alvin Toffler, the futurist, said, which is the illiterate of the 21st century will not be those who cannot read and write, but those who cannot learn, unlearn, and relearn. And so the, the core thing that needs to be fixed, which is just really a cultural assumption, it's even before you get to the institutional effects or what that looks like is, is that we have to massively shift the paradigm so that instead of thinking that, oh, the goal is to create more trained monkeys, that it is really about creating a society where everybody is constantly learning, unlearning and relearning. And that that is just a given for the rest of your life, not that you can bank on a set of skills for the next 40, 50 years. Isn't it, uh, you know, one thing that James talked about, you know, what, what do people actually want to learn? What are, I think, isn't that like a cultural thing, right? Because if you ask, you know, a religious culture, right, they would say we should be learning the Bible and we should learn, you know, and if you ask, you know, maybe uh, of a non-religious culture, they'll say that that's not important. Maybe we should be teaching sex ed. Maybe we should be teaching, uh, you know, so it's like what we should be learning uh, I guess it's it differs everywhere, right? What people want and what people. I mean, is there a one size fits all, or or does it, should it be different everywhere? I think there's a real. I think you have to separate out. You know, what are what are the proximate things that people are actually saying they want to learn, and then why do they think they should learn these things? So you know. Um, I've heard more than one American Christian say that uh, they believe that God wants us to be rich, right? So for them, 
you know, religious faith is a proxy to be able to get rich, make a whole bunch of money and all that sort of stuff. That's not the reason necessarily why other Christians would have such strong faith. They believe that, you know, the universe was created by God and that we want to get as close to God as possible because that's where happiness or joy comes from. So they're focused on achieving happiness or joy. But even then, when we look at those causes, they're not necessarily that different, right? Some people assume that money is going to make them happy. Other people assume that some sort of spiritual connection is going to make them happy. But there are fairly basic underlying human needs that people are trying to achieve. And I think that when you get down to it very often, the goals are the same, but that the strategies by which people are trying to achieve those goals differ. Um, and I think that's the real question is, what are people really trying to achieve? Not just like, what is their immediate proximate stated goal, but what is the underlying experience of life or emotional experience that they're trying to achieve through whatever goal they're articulating? Well, Ricky, you, you bring up a very good point in all of this, because my inclination is to say that, well, everyone has their own educational path that they must take based on whatever their particular inclinations are about what it is they're doing and why they're doing it. But we do live in communities, geographical, physical communities that do constitute some form of culture. And that, of course, is in great flux now with the, the general mobility of populations, much more so than any time in human history. But still, there is geographical proximity that creates a certain culture. So there are certain shared, certain shared understandings and certain shared cultural assumptions that people are bringing to the table. The question is, to what extent should people who reside within a certain culture well, everyone needs to know this. Everyone should know that so that they can actually come together as a community. There has to be some element of that for a community to come together. It does have to have certain shared bases that uh, everyone can, can relate to and draw from. But how is that imposed and under what structure and by whom? Who gets to make that, that decision uh, is, I think, again, it's going to come back to the, the political aspect of this. Well, and to James's point, the question is whether it's imposed, right? Is it imposed or is it emergent from the community, right? So, you know, this is the real, real thing, I think, that is the big paradigm shift that we need to have with education is, is that in general, education has been imposed. It hasn't been education at all. It's been indoctrination where, you know, some sort of potentially well-meaning uh, but short-sighted, uh, far-off experts decided what it was that everybody needed, and then they handed it down, as opposed to it arising out of an emergent conversation. And, you know, the fact that the three of us, uh, you know, one of us in Japan, one of us in uh, New England, and one of us in California are having this conversation already bakes in what the solution is which is that rather than it being that one of us trying to dictate by fiat what the other should be doing, that you know collectively as a team, we start to figure out what it is that we want. And it may not be that we agree entirely, right? but we may be able to find enough common ground, as James is saying, to be able to have a functional global community. Well, yeah, that comes back to what I was saying about the, uh, the, tr the transformation that's taking place and the idea of geographical proximity as being the determiner of culture. Because we are living in an age not only of mobility in terms of transportation, but also you know, telecommunication. We now literally talk to people all around the globe 
every day. I certainly do. And I probably actually spend more time now that I think about it, talking to people halfway around the world than I do talking to people in my own neighborhood. That's a weird thing, isn't it? And it does raise the question of intentional communities. There are now intentional, non-geographically limited communities that are developing. And can we live our lives through those types of communities? And what does that mean? And then how do we structure education to take account for that? That's a whole other kettle of fish. Well, and to some extent, humans have always been doing that to the extent that was possible. I mean, that was the nature of religious communities, right? I mean, sometimes there was some geographical co-location, but that doesn't wasn't necessarily true, right? If you had some sort of outlying Christian community, you know, in Syria or whatever that was Catholic, you know, they would say the hub of their community was in Rome, which was massively far away, right? People that belong to religious groups that have their headquarters far, far, far from where they live. And sometimes people are entirely isolated. They don't, they never even had any physical members co-located with them, but they were connected through shared texts um, and shared rituals. Yeah, that that's, uh, that's interesting. I, I think that's, that's kind of a, a interesting, uh, you know, topic to to talk about because you know, like like you guys said, uh, everybody has a different perspective on what should be taught. I mean, and like James talked about, and, and, and Hunter, who should be doing the teaching, right? Who who and and their own perspectives and opinions are going to influence what they think should be taught. But unfortunately, like there are people who are followers and will look for some type. I mean, what, there's a type of personality that is more likely to join a cult, more likely to, to you know, uh, do those type of things because they look for some type of path. They look for somebody to, to, to follow. And, uh, and it almost, I mean, it, it's weird because sometimes when, when I think about, like, these conversations that we're, we're going to have, I always wonder if eventually if we always end up getting back to the same place, right? Like, so we'll join some communities, right? And we'll, we'll decide that, okay, this person is who we decide is most intelligent, most, most capable to, uh, to lead us. And then eventually that person gets greedy and corrupt. And then we end up being at the same place again you know is is it this vicious cycle where it's endless well i think that's baked into human psychology like what's you know culture changes technology changes but the underlying psychology is the same right lost souls i mean that's a pretty old term right and it's people who never got the sense of uh, confidence that that they had the ability to make their own decisions right and they've always fallen for sort of mass movement so that's always been a phenomenon and is a possibility for any human being right so and you know the i mean more and more and more the more we look at these sort of large scale phenomena through an evolutionary perspective we're seeing you know the same forces that are at work in biological cells are at work in huge cultural units like tribes you know, they unite, they divide, they split up, they reorganize, they remix their cultures and innovate new cultures. And that's the process that's going on. And that process that has been going on for a very long time is now just being sped up uh, because it's you can do everything far faster on the Internet and distance matters even less. All right. Well, let's. Yeah. OK, so this is getting a, a bit ethereal. Let's bring this right back down to the practical um, because it strikes me that what I do, essentially, is I'm creating a podcast that is educational. So I am an educator of some sort. 
And the question is, what sort? And what does that mean? And what does that mean for the audience? And and is this a model of what can be done in the modern, you know, online age? And it strikes me that there are three different ways that you could approach the material that I put out in my podcast. One is simply to look at the data that I put into the podcast as data. And, okay, here's a fact, here's a fact, here's a fact. I can verify it through this source or I can verify it through that source. All right, so now I have some data. The second order of that would be the narrative, because obviously I'm creating a podcast around a certain topic or a certain idea or a certain theme. So, yeah, there's this piece of data and this piece of data and this piece of data. But I try to put them together in a way that hopefully makes sense of that data for people, because as we know, just raw data, just information is not going to tell us fundamentally about the world that we're living in. So I try to put it in a narrative for people. But I think the real purpose of what I'm doing or what I'd really like people to take away from it is not that first second order of of kind of the surface level of what I'm doing because if that was it then if I got hit by a bus tomorrow what would my legacy be okay so I you know there's this data that I put out there and you can find out this fact and this fact and this fact from the podcast and oh maybe you can even get a narrative out of it that makes some sense okay great but I'm dead so you know what are you gonna do now um what I really want people to be learning ultimately from what it is that I do is not the data it, or not even the narratives that I'm creating from that data. It's how to source, verify, find data on a subject and how to put it together in a narrative. I'm modeling that for people in a way that I hope they are internalizing so that they can then go and apply it for themselves. The greatest thing, the greatest feedback that I could get is something like, hey, James, I've listened to your podcast for a few years and I get it. I get what you're doing. And, you know, I'm going to start doing it myself or I, I can do it, you know, on my own time or, or something like that. That, you know, that's graduation from the uh, the College of Corbett Report, I guess. So that's I think that's the idea of what I'm I would like um, people to be taking away from the work that I do. And I think that's at least a model of how we could proceed with how to actually construct some sort of way of educating people in the online space. Well, and what James is talking about is a process, and that process goes by many names, right? That process, you know, can be called epistemology, it can be called the scientific method, it can be called good journalism, it can be good history, right? It can be called critical thinking. But in the end of the day, they're all the same thing. You know, the mind, the human mind is a meaning-making machine. It slaps together ideas all the time. It comes up with narratives based on available information. And the point is, is that the, the dangerous thing is when people critically accept uncritically accept either narratives that they're handled, they ha they're handed uh, by some sort of authority, father knows best figure, or alternatively, they uncritically accept the narratives that their own minds have generated. Those are conspiracy theorists. Um, and, you know, the, the real work is to basically then, once you've got whatever narrative that you've got, right, you then challenge and test that against all available data to see how well it holds up. And the real thing that we need, and I think that everybody can agree on, even if we don't necessarily agree on certain narratives, um, that I think you guys would say that I had blindly accepted from authority figures, and uh, I would say that you guys had cooked up on your own. Um, the, the thing remains that we are all on board with the more critical thinking, the more of the scientific method, the more of good journalism, good history, whatever you want to call it, out there the better the decisions that the human hive mind will collectively make. And that's really the thing to advocate for. 
I mean, you, you kind of brought up an interesting point because uh, the idea of like, is there a truth? Is there a such thing as a fact? A Isn't everything debatable? Isn't, you know, it's like, okay, you know, we could argue we think this and you think that we both might have reasons to believe what, what we believe. You know, is any one of us right or wrong? Can you make the argument or, or can you even make a, a good argument and still be wrong, you know, and that's the thing. Could I make a good argument and still be wrong? You know, like uh, some people are very good at just picking and choosing uh, facts that defend their perspectives and, and connecting dots that help defend their perspective. So are, aren't we all capable of doing that? And uh, to me, it's always like, well, who am I to believe that I'm not capable of, of blindly also believing something? And you know, and, and I think that's a dangerous thing, and, and I think that's really important to to constantly be recalibrating and, and reanalyzing why you believe things, why you and and that's why you know it's it's funny because we're, we're we're we slightly uh, talked about uh, you know uh, going to school and then they tell you you know you should study this because this will get you a good job, and I and I think that that whole idea is so ridiculous because there's so many people who, you know, go to school for philosophy or something that they're like, Oh, what are you going to do with that degree? You know, but what you learn from that, what you learn from uh, being able to ask questions and analyze things and reanalyze things. I mean, that's going to give you benefits that surpass any financial benefits. Some other job might, might give you. And um, so I think that's, you know, I, I think those are all really, really interesting is, is uh, you know, just, what should we be learning? Why should we be learning it? Should we be even questioning who's teaching us this and why we should be teaching, you know, uh, learning certain things? And uh, I guess it's it just kind of goes, it turns into a philosophy class and we just ask a bunch of questions <laughs> with no real answers. You know, but but I think... Well, but yeah. uh, let's let's deal with that, that issue that you raised because everyone does believe things without knowing it for themselves without having tested it for themselves we have to we cannot independently verify and test every single thing that it is that that we believe about the world i am not a car mechanic you know i can't i i have no idea about you know 99 of the processes of what's going on under the hood of my car but that does raise an interesting practical question so there's something wrong with my car i go to a mechanic to tell me what's wrong so what is my position in this? Because this is the authority figure who presumably does know more about this subject than I do. Am I just going to blindly believe anything he tells me about what's going on with that car? Well, that doesn't seem like a very good way to proceed because as we know, once in a while, there may be a greedy mechanic that may tell you that you need some work done that you don't need done, right? So you have to have some method for determining, well, okay, so should I take this opinion on board? What, to what extent should I f familiarize myself with the material so I have some idea, you know, whether he's completely making stuff up or not? How much, you know, should I get a second opinion? How do I, how do I proceed with this? And what is it worth? And I, there's all of this calculation going on. What's this worth in terms of overall time and life and whatever? You know, if I have whatever, a hundred bucks to fix the problem, am I just gonna pay the hundred bucks to fix it? Or if a hundred bucks is a huge deal to me, am I gonna really take my time? And I mean, there's all sorts of calculations that go on with this. And that's the practical side of this because we cannot know everything about everything. We cannot 
understand every single thing in the universe, we have to pick and choose. And how do we pick and choose? That seems to me to be one of the core questions that can and should be answered so that we know. I, and, and of course, that comes right back to the question of the, the moment of reflection that we have to have. What do we want to know and why do we want to know it? And if we can sort that out, you know, maybe it's just not worth my time to worry about the car and whatever. Okay, here's under bucks. It's done. It's out of my mind. And maybe I'm being swindled, but it's a calculated risk I'm willing to take. Maybe I make that decision and maybe I do get ripped off, but at least it's my decision to make. But still, as long as I know why I am doing that and I have it calculated and I understand what it is that's happening there, then that's something that can happen. And as I say, we cannot know everything about everything. So to a certain extent, we all, every single person on this planet believes things that they don't know for certain. Yeah, and that gets back to the core point that James made earlier, which is that it comes down to community, right? We live in a community of individuals and ultimately, you know, it's not just about making yourself smarter. It's about creating a smarter community that makes better decisions and with better trust networks, Right. Like if we're able to build intentional communities, imagine you can build an intentional community of people who not only are constantly testing and challenging their own knowledge, but on in the same way are not going to rip off their fellow community members, even if they have some sort of knowledge advantage. Well, that's a more functional community. And in fact, that is what the great human project has been, is to try and figure out how to build those communities. You know, many of those communities were religious. That was part of the deal that you were getting into when you joined certain religious communities. You had networks of trust. You had a shared set of principles. Those principles would mean that you wouldn't fuck over your fellow community members. Of course, that worked to a certain degree, but then obviously then those trust mechanisms become, you know, a recipe for abuse of power. See the Catholic Church and yet another pedophile ring, right? But at the same time, you know, for example, in Islam, part of the benefit was always that you suddenly plugged and played into this huge trading network. And suddenly you had all these business opportunities with people who would treat you fairly and give you a good deal. And, you know, the United States, compared to somewhere like South Africa, is a community that has much, much higher trust, right? So what we're trying to figure out here is, yes, it's not just about individual education. It's also about having people around us who can solve problems that we can't and then having mechanisms for knowing whether we can trust them and then ultimately being able to punish defectors. Uh, who threaten that common trust for the community. So how do we build a better society is the sort of question that ultimately always emerges as soon as you tar start talking about education. So how do we? Well, I think I, um, the core thing comes down to intentionality and thoughtfulness. Like the really dangerous thing is when people are just sort of blindly doing things for reasons that they don't even know because it's what they've learned or what they've picked up or it's their unreflected prejudice. So in, this, in essence, we're starting to do that now. But I think part of that is a willingness to break from the communities that we were born into and to begin experimenting with forming more and more of these intentional and potentially delocalized communities, right? So, I mean, that's, that's what the Mixed Mental Arts Project has been about is, you know, I just realized in general that I had far more in common with people from London, Berlin, Johannesburg, Beijing, you know, name the place, Japan, uh, you know, Massachusetts, than I do with somebody who lives two, two doors down in my apartment building. 
And so I'm going to get much more out of having a conversation probably with the two of you guys than two random people who live in my apartment building. So I feel okay, more Ricky, of a here. Ricky, sorry to interrupt, but your, Ricky, your, your direct question deserves a direct answer. We're getting very theoretical and abstract here. Let's get right back down to practical, right back down to brass tacks. We have the example. I go to the mechanic, and as I said, I, he presumably knows more about what's going on under the hood than I do. But do I even know that? I mean, maybe he's maybe it's just a guy who just dresses up as a mechanic and, you know, hey, yeah, I'll take care of your problem. Give me a hundred bucks. So there has to be an actual mechanism for there are going to be people that we don't know. Strangers. I mean, unless you live on some sort of commune, I guess you could try that lifestyle as you literally know every single person you interact with and have some sense of who they are. But. Barring that, that, we're probably going to be interacting with strangers that we don't know. We're going to have to have some method for verifying. So is this a mechanic? Like, what kind of training has he had? How do I know that he has the knowledge to even know what he's talking about so that I can begin to take his advice on board? Well, there are different certifications and different things that we can look at, different, you know, hang degrees on the wall or whatever that might tell us something about their, their background. Um, but again, this comes down to the very practical question of, okay, so is there going to be a single central government approved body that will regulate your doctor, for example. I mean, you don't want just some random nobody operating on your heart. You want a heart surgeon. You want someone you know has a great degree of training and experience in this field. So how do you verify that? Well, don't worry. We have the AMA. We have, you know, the certification. We have licensing. We have government approved bodies that will tell you that this is a doctor that can operate on you and you know, we give their little stamp of approval, so therefore you don't have to worry about it. Uh, I obviously have problems with that system because I know how that system has been constructed um, from the beginning uh, with the Flexner report and all of that in the early days of the AMA, funded, of course, by the Carnegies and the Rockefellers to specifically create a certain medical system that exists to this day. Um, my solution to this would, of course, be that, well, what we need is not a central body that is government approved and this is the one that will license doctors. No, no, no. We need competing bodies. We need competing different systems. And I get to choose, oh, I, I trust this system because of X, Y, Z. Uh, I don't trust that system because A, B, C. So if this person has this type of qualification, well, then maybe I can go to that person and then start the process. And again, that's probably just the start of the process. I'm probably still going to want second opinions and blah, blah, blah. But at any rate, that might be one way to start the process when we're interacting with a complete stranger. Yeah, but James, the problem often with these sorts of arguments is, okay, great, you're having difficulty figuring out how to operate your car. Do you really think that you're going to be in a position to, you know, figure out which medical body is the most reliable? Yes, because so? I, this is <laughs> yes, because this is second order type of uh, information that is not based on my personal experience with what's going on in the car or in my heart or whatever. It's about, well, how do we found trust in an institution of some sort? And it, to my mind, that, of course, it, it brings with it the entire degree of of outside verification, watchdogging, whatever, that has precisely because we live in a system where the government will tell you that this is this is the licensing system, so this is a good doctor, so, you know, turn your brain off. Well, if we did not live in that system and there were competing bodies, it would be incumbent on us to actually have some information about what we're talking about and, and to collect really? that information. We and used the to live people in that. that would do that would include various competing, again, consumer watchdog groups that would be 
okay, well, this is why, look, we did this investigation to this and we found X, Y, and Z. So ultimately, yeah, I, at the end of the day, you're still going to have the fundamental question of, well, who do you, who do you trust? But it would be a more informed decision than the, the system that we're living in at this moment. Well, I mean, okay, so, I mean, if we want to get into trust systems and we want to look at what the history of that is, we can. I mean, the, the firstly, I think it's worth recognizing that there already are multiple layers, right? You know, you can go online and there are plenty of places where you can look at health grades and you can see, you know, how has the community rated your doctor? You know, you can see lots and lots of different sort of mechanisms for seeing what their track record is and how reliable are, there are. You can also verify with informal networks, right? Who do you know who's used the doctor? So there are already are we already have multiple layers of checking and vetting and all that stuff. So it's not that the government has a monopoly on it. There is competition. Um, if you're talking about, you know, there's a reason why uh, the FDA, for example, was formed and you know, I'm sure that we don't totally agree on what that reason is. Um, I'd like to hear your reason. My reason is, is the fact that the honest truth is it's very much the problem that you laid out with mechanics, which is, is that, you know, that the body is complicated. In general, we often come up with potential interventions without really knowing what they're going to do. Yeah. Therefore, so this the, is an interesting case. So just just as a question, do you know what is the act that created the FDA? What year was it passed? Pure Who passed food it? And, and drug under what circumstances? Act. Pure Food and Drug Act. Yep. What year? Uh, I think it was 1910s, 1920s. I can't remember exactly. I think it was earlier than that. I want to say 1907-ish. But anyway, yeah. around that era. And what was specifically the issue that they were coming in to, uh, to mandate and regulate? Uh, I don't remember that one, but I do remember that r the Raid of Thor case was part of why the FDA was strengthened. Um, so that's a big one, which we can also talk about the Raid of Thor case if right. you want. Well, if you're interested in more data on this, I do have a podcast on The Jungle, uh, Upton Sinclair's book, that yeah, was uh, part of the, the hysteria that led to the creation of the FDA and some of the implications of what that actually meant. Because, again, this is, a, this is another thing where, again, we can talk in great generalities about, oh, but we need an FDA because blah, blah, blah. But no, what is the FDA? Where did it come from? Why? Under what circumstances? Who passed that legislation? What was their stated intentions? Again, a mountain of data that underlies all of this that we can kind of, oh, that's not so important, sweep under the rug, but it could be the actual central part of this whole issue. Yeah, but I think, I mean, you know, the, what we're talking about is, again, as a community, like I'm perfectly happy to buy into the idea of an FDA, right? Like I've had plenty of conversations with libertarians. Uh, Peter Schiff and I had a conversation about it. And, you know, I'm perfectly happy to say that I think the FDA makes sense. And that's because I have a biochemistry degree, right? I know how complicated all of this stuff is. And I know how bad we are at evaluating things, even as biochemists that are outside of our narrow specialty. Yeah. But, but do you so, think my argument is we shouldn't have anything like an FDA? Well, if you're that's... talking about competing bodies, then what you're talking about is that there shouldn't be a monopoly that is controlled by the government, right? Yes, exactly. Yes. Right. So I think I, I understand that there should be bodies, but then what you end up more with is something like the good housekeeping seal of approval, where people give their approvals or people give their stamps, but ultimately there's no enforceability, right? Like I think that there needs to be a body with coercive power that is able to say, this thing should not be on the market. Radithor, there's no reason for Radithor to be on the market, right? Radithor was radium-infused water. 
and there is no reason why somebody should be peddling that shit as eternal sunshine. Agreed. And there is no reason glyphosate should be on the market. There is no one should be peddling that as the, the great savior of humanity and agriculture. And yet... It's FDA approved. Oh, but now they're going through the courts and now they're suing Monsanto for millions, hundreds of millions of dollars. And that's just one case. Many more will come. Hmm. It's almost as if if you put a Monsanto executive at the head of the FDA, which is a monopoly over this this whole system, maybe that's maybe that's a reason we shouldn't have monopoly structures here. Right. Well, no, we should have monopoly structures. Some things need a monopoly. You should have a monopoly on legitimate violence. That's functional. That's useful. Like that's I mean, if you want to talk about, you know, the, the, the thing that I think that libertarians have uh, have misunderstood is, is that they see a mono- they think monopolies are bad. Therefore, they assume all monopolies are bad. So therefore, they see a problem with a monopoly on legitimate violence. Right. But do you really want a competition of violence? One thousand percent. Yes. See, there you go. There's where we basically disagree. And that's okay, but because I firstly, I appreciate your candor, uh, you know, because my previous conversations with libertarians, some of which, which I've had with Ricky, uh, there tends to be a beating about the bush and an evasiveness. You have a position, you're standing by, you're clear on what it is, and I think that's great. So from my perspective, a competition on violence is basically just another way of describing warlords. Um, and I don't particularly want us to live in a society where there are warlords competing with violence for territorial control. Yeah, let's just make one body the warlord that rules over everyone. Yes. What could go wrong? Yeah, the point is, is that you, the, where libertarians are absolutely right is, is that the government is a mafia. And, you know, I think that's great. What you want is an accountable mafia. Like, there are very different types of <laughs> yeah, Let me know when you find that unicorn. <laughs> No, the United States is one of the most accountable government mafias that you're going to find anywhere in the world. I would much rather live in the United States than live in Russia. Right? There are far this better. This crazy mechanisms. cult is one of the least rapey that's out there. It's okay. Yeah, it it's a little bit of rape. Yeah, no, it's one of the least rapey on the planet, and I'm great with that. <laughs> I think that's the point is you're not going to eliminate rape, but you can do whatever you can to diminish the levels at which that occurs. And that's really the goal is, you know, you're not. There's not some, you know, blue sky utopia that you're going to find. All you can do no, there is, isn't. Absolutely yeah. there isn't. So the point is, is that what we're trying to figure out is how to find constantly the lesser of two evils. And I think, you know, the United States, that's I will 100% agree. I think it's massively problematic to have the head of Monsanto be in charge of the FDA. Talk about a conflict of interest, right? And that's not something that should be happening. But part of the reason why that's been happening is because the, you know, the U.S. citizenry has been asleep. They haven't been paying attention for a very long time, and therefore they don't call their guys. I like someone else in four years. Yeah, I'll change. But but isn't that the the whole system's (laughs) fucked up, right? I mean, because the thing is that, you know, kind of what James is saying, and and it's true. I mean. Oliver Stone had a you know his great series uh, the Untold History of the United States. I don't know if you guys read the book or watched the documentary, but it's really good. And if you look at you know it go it starts from like the 1900s and it goes all the way up. And if you see like the earliest debates, you know with Nixon and 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 uh, and JFK, and you see politicians t- you know talking and doing speeches in front of crowds, you know everywhere from the early 1900s all the way to I think the you know the most current uh, was it uh, goes all the way to uh, the Obama administration, like literally they're saying the same shit like it's constantly like well, i'm gonna you know get jobs this is you know and and both sides are basically spewing the same nonsense and it's just like this it's like you said it is a mafia and just like a mob uh you know people are trying to get 
in power and people are trying to uh, stay in power. And that means lie, cheat, steal, murder, whatever it may be. And, you know, I wonder if, if there is something, you know, if there is like, do we have to pick the lesser two evils? You know, because you look at it, right? There are some understandings that, that have come in time. Like, I think we have a better understanding. I mean, and I think we, we probably, uh, you know, disagree on, on why morally people have uh, a better understanding. Maybe can agree on what is morally right and morally wrong today. You know, before you had a lot of religious beliefs that kind of uh, influenced that. And now even, you know, um, I, I would say religion doesn't have anything to do with it. Like people have just seemed to kind of have a better understanding of like, you know, we're going in the direction of having a better understanding. Okay, murder is wrong. This is wrong. That is wrong. And it doesn't matter what re- religious belief you have. We ha- and, and are we going in that direction where we can all kind of come to terms and have some type of uh of guidelines on how we should run a society and uh without somebody telling us what you know what because it's almost like you know like james was talking about because i I guess i'm trying to put my thoughts into words my ideas into words but like james was talking about his podcast right people he has his podcast he shares his ideas you share yours and your podcast i share uh i don't you know i I guess i don't i try to have people on who are interesting like you guys so people can listen to to your ideas and it's almost like the napster of ideas right like napster was this idea that we all put our music on this thing we can all kind of pick and choose what we like and take it and this and that and um i mean the, the world of podcasting is kind of the same thing like we can all we throw all our ideas out there and you know like james i mean uh, uh hunter you've said the wisdom of crowds right we we if you take a large crowd we can almost decide as a crowd what's the best idea right so does that mean that we can bypass having a group of of people that we we decide that you're making this decision or can the wisdom of crowds decide? Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's an important distinction right there because what you're positing is essentially democracy, right? The wisdom of crowds will choose the right leader. And then we just listen to the leader or is it, okay, the wisdom of the crowd has decided such and such thing, but I personally, as an individual human being with my own rights can decide, you know what guys, you, you, you do that. I'm going to go do this. Am I allowed to do that? Am I allowed to opt out? I think that's the fundamental well, political question that this ultimately comes well, down you're, to. You're talking about the flaws of democracy, right? Like uh, I, 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 like that old quote, uh, uh, democracy is two wolves and a sheep deciding what's for dinner, right? It's like, is democracy always a good thing? Like if we all decide, hey, uh, you know, we're going to decide that we can make all this minority slaves. Well, technically it's democracy, right? Because they're the minority. And if the majority decides, you know, this is okay, then it's a good thing. So, yeah, I, I think even that has its flaws. But the point is to design a democracy where you don't have the tyranny of the majority and where there are checks and balances. Yeah, but who? Like the whole, uh, I, th- th- see, the thing is with me is it seems like this reoccurring issue. Like we keep d- deciding that somebody's going to uh, – we're going to have checks and balances. But then we also decide that, you know, cor- you know there's always going to be corruption. There's always going to be – so it's like – you know, it, isn't that what we have today? Like some checks and balances. We like in theory, this is what you're supposed to do. Eventually, it doesn't end up doing that. I mean, look at like you know, you talked about America and living in America and and having relatives in, in Europe. I see the huge difference in like you know our food quality sucks, right? And we have FDA, we have all this stuff. You know, there's tons of foods and, and chemicals that are banned from the EU, banned from Europe. You know, the, the uh, 
you look at like we're overprescribed, right? And yet we have these licenses and we have these schools that are, you know, uh, yeah. Uh, you know. Uh, yeah. Again, this fundamentally comes down to my individual choice. Do I get a choice? And all I'm saying is, hey, you guys have the FDA. Yeah. You, you know, and the FDA will say this product is good and this product is bad. Great. But if I choose otherwise, if I say, well, actually, I want to put that substance into my body because I've done my own research and I've decided, even if I'm wrong, if I'm right, whatever, I've decided that I'm going to do that. Do I have the right to do that? Why not? Yeah, but it also comes down to what are the externalities for the community of your choice, right? It's the old Oliver Wendell Holmes thing. Of course, The yeah, freedom yeah. to fling your fist stops at your neighbor's nose. Of course, right? if it inflicts violence on others, then there, there's obviously something that has to be worked out politically. Right. So the if, for example, you've decided that you don't believe in global warming and therefore, you know, you're just going to pump all sorts of greenhouse gases into the environment or you've decided that you don't really believe all the science around radiation being bad for people's health. And so therefore, you're just going to dump it into our communal water supply. Right. Then your choice, your free choice negatively impacts me. And if it negatively impacts me, then in reality, what humans do and what humans have always done is to band together with another group of humans and use our collective power to stop you from doing that. And that's that's the inescapable dynamics of human behavior. The point is, is to arrange those dynamics in such a way that things like corruption are lessened. They're not going to be eliminated, but they can be lessened. Right. And there are mechanisms for that. And part of that long, long progress, that long arc of history that you're talking about, Ricky, is a reduction of corruption. Like the level of corruption that we have in the United States today compared to the level of corruption that existed in the United States in the 1800s. Right. It's a fraction of what used to exist. Right. It obviously hmm. is not. I don't know. Is no. that why is that? Well, I don't understand. Can like, you demonstrate I mean, that I mean, in a couple of like we can talk about the spoil system, how 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 were everybody from a postal officer? Why was why was why did Charles Guiteau murder the president? He murdered the president because he refused to give him a job just because he was connected. Right. So that's the you know, the the postal system, every single government employee used to be chosen by connections, by the political spoils system. Yeah, but that still happens in small. I mean, I know locally in my town in in Ludlow, Massachusetts, people get jobs based on who they know and they get. I mean, and this I mean, this is local government. And and as you work your way up, it it, it's how government works in general. Like it's that hasn't changed. People work in general. But that's what I'm saying. So how's how's it changed? Ricky, who who how you you work with a construction company, right? Yeah, we have a family owned little business. Yes. Oh, so you like to work with family, right? Uh, yeah, well, I actually, I would argue that I don't actually like working with family. Well, you mean we, I like to we, work with family. Uh, we, but, uh, you know, I think there's definitely some downfalls to it because obviously, you know, family fights more often. You're more, uh, you're more comfortable to, to maybe um, yell at each other, you know, sibling rivalries, uh, you know, parent, you know, talk. A father talking to you instead of like an employee, like you know. So there are there are issues. I mean, it's there's pros and cons. But I, I get I get what Hunter is saying. Essentially, he's saying that in the system that exists now, as compared to the system of 100 years ago, there's less corruption. Yeah. Um, but that's you're asking us to believe. Uh, 
uh, something that we prove the negative. We do not, we can't do tests with reality, so we don't know how much corruption would exist under what system. So uh, there's no way to demonstrate the, well, we the can, proof of what you're stating. We can, we can certainly look at, you know, the system that used to exist. Like, how did you, I mean, the whole reason why capitalism, which I think everybody here is a fan of, came into being was because the preceding system was mercantilism, where everybody was, you know, the, the, the right to even operate in a certain field, you had to get a patent from the king to be able to even sell wine or do anything like that, right? That's how now much they just of call it copyright, and it's uh, death of the author plus seventy years, and I will bet. continue to be extended every time Mickey Mouse needs it to be extended. But much but better system. I, but that's I how that's how a lot of countries work. A lot of countries still work based on that sort of spoils and patronage system. You know, look at Mexico, look at Russia, right? I'm not saying that the United States is some grand paradise or utopia. It's certainly not. And if you want to talk about real problems in the United States, I think the major problem is is that most of the American citizenry doesn't know how their government works. And so, therefore, they are in the position of that person who goes into the car dealership or the car mechanic. They have no fucking clue how things work, and so they continue to get ripped off. So part of the well, yeah, and then, and then we're back to the practical side of this because then it's we live in this system. So what do we do within the system? So yeah, if you live in a system that's controlled by a mafia, you better know how that mafia works and how best to game that mafia so you get the best advantage. Yeah, but hasn't the internet right? changed this? But that doesn't seem like the most satisfying answer to the question of how to structure society. Yeah, but with with the internet, like for example, the mecha- uh, we'll, we'll use the mechanic uh, uh, example James used. I could go online and and get some information, right, and be better informed. So when somebody says something, I might not understand exactly what he's doing, but if he says something that doesn't make sense, I can call him out on it or question him on it and be like, listen, I'm not a mechanic, but that doesn't sound like that needs to be fixed because I was reading online this or I saw somebody fix it online and they didn't have to repair that part or whatnot. So doesn't the internet kind of change that too where because of this incredible ability to, to, to share information, like I said, like the internet is like the Napster of information. Instead of music sharing, we're doing it's information sharing that it's you can almost bypass having uh, you know these licenses and and all this stuff. I mean, one of the best handymen I know doesn't have any licenses. You know, he came from Portugal here and and didn't want to renew anything and and you know just it was expensive or whatnot. And he uh, so he didn't renew and he's incredible at what he does. Um, I mean, it's it, it, yeah. It, I, I, my time is just about up here, so I'm going to have to exit the conversation. Um, but I just want to underline what you're saying because I think of myself as living, breathing proof of what you're stating. I am not a video editor. I never took any training whatsoever in video editing, never never took a single class in my life, but I do video editing for a living. I am not a podcaster. I'm a broadcaster. I've never studied media communications whatsoever, but I do it for a living. This is now what I do. And hey, I'm not perfect, And uh, but go back 10 years ago, I was absolutely terrible. I'm getting better. You know, I'm teaching myself. And I've done it over and over in a lot of different processes. I am doing it now with guitar. I am not a guitar player. I have taken some lessons, but I'm not very good. But I am teaching myself uh, via things like the web, which has opened up possibilities that would have been utterly unimaginable half a century ago when someone's learning guitar. You're going to have to go physically to someone and get a lesson. Well, I can just sit here and type, oh, I wonder... Wonder how to play that song into you know the search engine and woo you know I have fifteen thousand different tutorials to choose from and I can go and do it and I am going and doing it so there is a fundamental change that is taking place right now I think certain may I don't know if it's a generational thing or what have you maybe it's just a mindset thing but certain people do not appreciate the extent of the transformation that is already taking place in education 
So on the end of the conversation, I guess we'll bring <laughs> bring it back to education. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> we almost got there. <laughs> yeah, I think absolutely it does come down to the fact that it is easier to educate yourself and access information. It is also easier than ever to put out misinformation, right? And that's a large part of what we've seen. The reality is, is that these are tools and that they will be used and abused just as all tools throughout history have been used and abused by humans. And in the end, like if we want to understand the problems of building human societies, we need to look no further than ourselves. At the end of the day, it comes down to how do you get pesky humans to cooperate and to not engage in corruption and not fuck each other over and uh, be slightly less rapey. Yeah, but I this I mean not to spark another conversation, but uh, I think what is bad information is also debatable. I mean, you look at like I mean, for example, the Alex Jones thing. I'm not a fan of Alex Jones. I've talked about it on the show m- multiple times. But has he said James isn't a fan of his, and he's been on his show years ago, you know? And uh, and but the thing is, does has he said things that he's correct about? Yeah, I mean, he talks about Operation Mockingbird that really existed. He talks about you know all types of things that really existed, um, and and historical things. Is he wrong a lot of the time? Does he? connect dots is the entertainment uh that some people i think take too literal yes but but does it mean that somebody should decide this is bad information you shouldn't listen to it or should we teach people how to filter like we talked about in the first podcast filter separate the source from the information itself and well okay so how do we verify that information rather than just look at the person who is stating that information that's an important that's one of the that's one of the fundamental issues of critical thinking in general on that note i gotta go so uh, awesome. you guys can continue talking if you want. Yeah, but, well, uh, I, I have to duck out as well, but I think that's the, the key thing is teaching critical thinking. That's the humanity's best defense against any, uh, any other human who's trying to take advantage of them, whether they're in a government capacity uh, on the free Internet like Alex Jones or anywhere else. I, I'm curious if you guys would be willing to, uh, to have another conversation in the near future because I, f- I, see it, I see it often that I feel like there's a... Uh, assumptions on each other's opinions on a lot of things instead of you know we we talk because i almost feel like we're 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 doing a bad example of of practicing what we're preaching right we're telling people look at the information right look at the information let's decide based on this information and instead we're we're going oh yeah i yeah you think this you know and and it's like how much i mean like i I jump to conclusions sometimes exactly right without actually right there's a lot of assumptions being thrown around in this conversation and 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 i'm let's if you guys are willing to we can in 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 sometime in the future let's talk about okay this is why i believe this instead of just saying i believe this let's talk about well this is why yeah 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 and 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 and, and uh, yeah of course we have to narrow it down to a topic so that we can actually manage it in a conversation rather than going a thousand directions yeah. but yeah i'm i'm game of five hunters game round three <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well well thanks guys i, I will we'll try to keep this band together a little longer and uh <laughs> <laughs> all right okay thank the, you ricky the angelina will be on time thanks a lot guys <laughs> thanks guys Have take fun. care take, take care. care bye